Welcome to Desert City Church's podcast. Thanks for listening in. What you are about to hear is a sermon given live at one of our Sunday gatherings. We are a new church serving neighborhoods on the edge of North Phoenix and Scottsdale, Arizona. Our sermons are ongoing conversations around a sacred text or scripture in which we find the story of Jesus. We hope they inspire you to love God and others more. If we can serve you in any way or answer any questions about our community, please don't hesitate to ask. You can find out more info at desertcitychurch.com. Matthew 3.13-17 Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John, but John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Thanks, Christy. I wanted to open up with this passage of Jesus' baptism. And... uh, probably throughout the four Gospels, uh, use this moment in Jesus' life as kind of the, the start of his ministry. Uh, there's, there's a time of commissioning for him. There's a time of, uh, of him kind of being uh, sent out. And we're at the start of a new year. It's a new season. Uh, it's a new, uh, there's, there's a freshness uh, to this season. And it's always interesting to me that uh, at the start of a new year, uh, we think of how we want to put the old year behind us. It's like a moment where everything can just change all of a sudden. Uh, from, from one day to the next, we have opportunity for something brand new. And so maybe uh, a, a lot of us will make different resolutions. Maybe you've made some resolutions. I know I have. It's, it's a time of, of, of newness. And uh, a buddy of mine sent top seven resolutions made for the new year. And he said, uh, these were the top resolutions. Maybe you guys fall into some of these categories. Uh, the number one resolution for the new year is weight loss. Number two is getting a better job. Number three is to exercise more. Number four is to quit smoking. Number five is to improve one's overall health. Number six is to be a better person. Number seven is eating healthier. Yeah, this actually might be my resolutions for the new year. Um, no, but when we, when we consider the new year, when we consider these resolutions, we all go into the new year with like high hopes and plans, and we think that we can just you know, switch it, like, a, like a, we could just turn it on or off. And then after a couple of weeks, we find that we're the same person that we were about a month ago. And uh, you'll see this at the gym. You go to the gym, and it's packed for about a week, and then it slowly trickles off. Um, but as we, as we consider the new year as a church, and we think of the things that we want to be individually and corporately. What I want to talk about isn't necessarily resolutions, although I think it's great that we have a season of change. But I want to talk about uh, how I think that we really change over time. And I think that we really change over time through, uh, through sacred rhythms, through habits, our behaviors. And the rhythms that we get into uh, daily and weekly and monthly over long periods of time change us. We're formed by our rhythms, by our behaviors. And when it comes to our uh, spiritual formation, 
It's the same thing. What we do, what we choose to do, the rhythms that we choose will change us over time. And so this month, we want to look at a couple different rhythms that we have as followers of Jesus. And for us, these rhythms are a part of discipleship. Discipleship is becoming more like Christ, following Jesus, becoming more like him. And when we start to to do these rhythms, uh, we're formed spiritually. And uh, so we we start with the story that Christy uh, tells us about Jesus' baptism. It's this new season. He's lived his life for about 30 years, but then all of a sudden something starts happening, and he starts getting very serious about his mission. And after this moment, he spends the next three years doing something absolutely remarkable. And it's interesting, as as you read the story and you read through the baptism of Jesus, that last verse you have God saying, a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. And then the very next thing that happens, I think is key for us. The very next thing is chapter four, it says, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. So Jesus gets done with his baptism. He's surrounded by this huge crowd. This voice from heaven comes and says, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And you think as he's starting his ministry, he's so empowered at this moment that the next thought you think that he would just be going into action, right? He would just get started. He would be going. He would be using this empowerment from God to start healing people, to start teaching, to start doing all these different things that we know Jesus does. But it's interesting that right after this moment of baptism, it says that the Spirit leads him to retreat to a solitary place. Some of the other Gospels use the word immediately, Jesus retreats to a solitary place. If we keep reading, we find just a fascinating story and dialogue takes place in Matthew chapter 4. It says, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days... And 40 nights, he was hungry, naturally, right? The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Second time, the devil took him to the holy city and said, uh, he had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And then Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. The story continues. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. Fascinating kind of story that takes place here. This is, Jesus starts this ministry by retreating and by getting away. And he's fasting, and then Satan shows up, and there's this remarkable conversation that takes place. When you think about the life of Jesus, this moment in chapter 3, the story is completely contrast to the story that happens in chapter 4. Just some observations. In chapter 3, you have the cool waters of the Jordan that he's baptized by. And then now you have him in the barren wilderness in Matthew 4. 
Matthew 3, you have these huge crowds that are, that are observing this and seeing this, and now you have him in solitude, in silence. In Matthew 3, the Spirit rests over him like a dove, and now in chapter 4, the Spirit drives him into the wilderness alone. In Matthew 3, the voice of the Father calling him the beloved Son. In Matthew 4, the hiss of Satan, the tempter. Matthew 3 is the anointed. In Matthew 4, Jesus is attacked. Matthew 3 is the water of baptism, and now it's the fire of temptation. Matthew 3, the heavens are opened, and now in Matthew 4, hell's breaking through. So you consider what this story is trying to tell us. That Jesus has this moment of newness, of being commissioned. And the first thing that he does is he's driven away. It's almost like there's something that God is going to do inside of him inwardly now as he starts his ministry. Before he sets out to accomplish the work that God has called him to, there's an inward thing happening. And I want to talk about this today, the inward renewal that takes place in our lives. And I would say these are inward rhythms that we have as followers of Jesus, as spiritual beings. There's these inward things uh, that we do, that God fixes in our lives. Jesus begins this new season with inward rhythms. Richard Foster, who wrote Celebration Discipline, says this, to attempt to arrange our, an outward lifestyle without an inward reality leads to deadly legalism. And even as we consider this new year, the, the things that we want to do outwardly, God wants to get our inward life, our private world right first. Foster goes on to saying, experiencing inward realities liberates us outwardly. As we consider what Jesus does at this point in his, his life, this new season, he retreats, he fasts, he prays, he uses scripture. The first inward rhythm to dive into is the rhythm of retreating and slowing down. That's not something we want to think about with the new year, right? Retreating and slowing down, pausing, stopping. William Barclay says, it may be that we often go wrong simply because we never try to be alone with God. We often go wrong simply because we never try to be alone with God. We live in a fast-paced world. A reminder today, just coming to set up church, how chaotic life can be. Uh, how busy we are, this digital age where we never turn off, this rhythm of retreating, of solitude, of creating space for God, is probably more important now than ever because of the pace of our culture. Retreating is an inward rhythm. Solitude, an inward rhythm. There's a pastor, John Ortberg, uh, who I enjoy listening to, tells this story of... Uh, Kind of a while back, he got hired by this huge church in Chicago, one of the biggest churches in the country. And uh, Orberg's a talented communicator, and he gets to Chicago, and all of a sudden he has this brand new schedule that's given to him uh, by this, this church that's run. It's just like this massive machine. He doesn't get to create his own schedule. He has people telling him what to do. He needs to go here and speak. He needs to write this. He needs to plan this meeting. He's oversee this, speak into this different ministry. He's just going, and he's going, and he's going. And he loves it because he feels like this is what I'm, you know, I'm, I'm wired to do, I'm, I'm, I'm using everything that God's called me to do in all these different areas, but he just started like wearing thin. And he had this, this mentor 
this older mentor that has been important to him throughout his life, and he decided to call him. The, winter's, the mentor's name is Dallas Willard. And he said that he called him, and he, he asked him for just some advice on spiritual direction as he's trying to take on all these new responsibilities. And he was kind of considering, like, you know, I, I need help as I'm in this new role where I've got more responsibility than ever. And he says Dallas Willard responded him with this advice. He said that hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And Ortberg says, yeah, I jotted that down real quick. And I was like, okay, but yeah, what else do we need? I mean, what else can you tell me? And, and he said, I, I, and Willard said, no, that, that's all I got for you. There's no other advice I can give you. That hurry, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life. And you want spiritual advice, you want direction on where you're going spiritually, you need to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. To slow down, to retreat, to get away. In the story of Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is uh, baptized, commissioned, ready to go. And it says that the Spirit drives him to the wilderness by himself. It's an inward rhythm, a discipline to say, I can stop, I can slow down, I can create boundaries where I create space for communion with God. Second inward rhythm that we see is, is prayer. Jesus spending time in prayer as he's by himself uh, and as he's uh, retreating away. Uh, great time of contemplation, of reflection, of allowing God to speak to him. And we talk a lot about prayer. Prayer is very important for our lives. Something that is really easy to do and really difficult to do and something we need to prioritize our life around. And when you think of really the concept of prayer, it, when you really kind of break it down, it's we have this God who's created the universe, who is omnipotent, he's, he's everywhere, he's, he's created us. Infinite power. And he gives us this gift of prayer where we can have conversations with him. And he listens to us. It's, it's mind-blowing to think of what prayer is. That God would be that approachable to say, I'll meet with you in prayer. And he speaks to us, and he listens to us. I mean, this is, it's just absolutely fascinating that such a great power in this world meets with us. And of all the things that prayer is, it's thanksgiving, it's presenting requests to God, it's lifting up those who are hurting and sick. There's so many different things that we use prayer for. But ultimately, prayer is this. It's communion with God. It's life with Christ. It's spending time with him. Sometimes there's an agenda on our part, but sometimes there's not. Sometimes God gets a hold of us and speaks to us, and sometimes it's silent. But prayer is absolutely foundational to our lives, spiritually. It's this rhythm that we must get into. I, uh, I share this story a lot, but it always, you know, I, I grew up in a, a not, kind of a non-denominational church and uh, had, had a weekly prayer rhythm that I'd, I'd get into. And I remember in high school, I went to a Christian school, and we were touring a bunch of old cathedrals in Phoenix. We do have those here. And we went to this old uh, we went to this old cathedral, and there was this, uh, there was this priest. It was a Catholic church. It was the first time I had this experience with the rosary. He was holding this thing with beads. This, it was almost like a necklace with beads. I was so confused. I had no, I'd never been in a Catholic church before. 
And he starts saying, I, I pass these beads through my hand, and every time I do, I say a prayer. So I'm constantly praying throughout the day. I just thought, that was, you're, you're always praying? And he said, yes. And I thought, that is just, it just blew my mind. I, like, I can't believe you just pray all the time. I pray, you know, for, for meals or when I go to bed at night, spend time at prayer. But you're just constantly in prayer. It's not like a formal thing. It's just a state of mind. And I started realizing there's this, when we're, we're, we're constantly in prayer, it's this inward rhythm where we're open and available to what the Spirit of God is up to in our world. We're communing with him constantly. One of the, the good disciplines I had as a, as a teenager was I would write my prayers down in a journal. At some point, I got away from that. I don't know if it was like the digital age or getting married or growing older. And over the last few months, I've actually started to write out my prayers again uh, in, in a journal. And it's been unbelievably uh, just fruitful in my life to, to actually sit down and write out your prayers. Prayer is a an inward rhythm uh, that is absolutely vital to our lives spiritually. John 15, Jesus uses uh, the, the metaphor of a vine and a branches, and he's talking about our spiritual lives, and he says that, that he is the vine and that we are the branches. And in him, we bear much fruit, and without him, we can do nothing. And there's this line in John 15 where he says, without abiding in him, you can do nothing. And sometimes, like, you read scripture and, and a verse hits you in a way that's never hit you before. And, and a couple of years ago, I just started thinking about that verse. Without abiding in Christ, there's nothing that we can do. That's kind of a big deal. And I started thinking about, like, the great commandment of loving God and loving others and the great commission to go out to all these things that we give, like, great weight to. And, and, and rightfully so. But what about this verse that says, abide in me, for without it, there's nothing that you can do. Spending time in prayer, abiding in Christ, life with Christ. It's an inward rhythm that we have to prioritize around. One of the things that we've decided to do, we have a prayer team at the church that uh, Sarah Buckmaster runs. And uh, we, the prayer team gets together at 11 a.m. On, on Thursdays and prays for everyone uh, in the church. We pray for a community. If you ever have requests, you can write those down. The prayer team covers them in prayer. But we're inviting everyone to pray at 11 a.m., Thursday, uh, every Thursday. If you want to come to the office and join the prayer team, you can. But we're asking everyone to just stop and, be, and remember the church, our community, the city, what God's up to in this country, in our world. To stop at 11 a.m. on Thursday and pray. We just think that prayer is so foundational. The third inward rhythm that we see in Jesus in Matthew uh, 4 is this rhythm of fasting and abstaining. Fasting and abstaining. It says that he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. Um, back in uh, November, I did the Whole30 diet, which I had to fast from, like, you know, sugar and uh, uh, gluten and dairy, and I almost died. It was, <laughs> it was, in, it was insane. Um, Fasting is not really a part of our, uh, our, our, norm, our normal rhythms as a culture. In fact, we, we just consume, we consume everything. Because uh, we, we live with great, uh, a lot of great luxuries and a lot of great freedom. And, uh, and it's, those are all wonderful, but what happens is there's unintended consequences sometimes to that. And we live in a culture where uh, we, we don't have to say no to anything. Everything's at our uh, disposal. We can consume, consume, consume. 
And so this idea of fasting, abstaining from something for the sake of creating healthy rhythms in our life is, is kind of foreign. It's kind of foreign to us. But here we have Jesus fasting, one from food, but then we also have the Satan showing up and tempting him and him abstaining from what Satan's tempting him with. And it's interesting as you start to break down these temptations, the three temptations, they're not necessarily like evil things that Satan's, I mean, the first one's bread. Like Satan's like, you're hungry, you're starving. Why don't you use your power to turn these rocks into bread? Like what, what could be so terrible about that? And yet Jesus is like, no, no, I, I don't need that. I depend on God for life, for sustenance. And it's, it's so interesting to me that Satan uses something that's not very evil, but he tries to meet a, meet a need in, God, in Christ's life with it, a need that can only be met by God. And I think there's something there for us that we need to understand. There's certain things in this life uh, that may not necessarily be evil, but we start to use them to meet needs in our life, and they start to consume us. They start to be, uh, they, they, we, we find fulfillment and stuff outside of God. I love what Tim Keller says. He says, the essence of sin is not that we want bad things, but it's that we want things too badly. I don't know if that's the correct grammar or not. The essence of sin is not that we want bad things, but we start to want things too badly. We start to desire fulfillment in things, and we're created to find fulfillment in God. Here we have Jesus abstaining, saying, I don't, I don't need that. God meets this need in my life. Abstaining. I love this, uh, this, um, this thought from Keith Drury, who's a professor at a, a seminary, but he wrote a book called Soul Shaper. He says this, In the discipline of abstinence, we abstain from things that could distance us from God. These disciplines become a means of grace, a channel through which God can change us as we clear away the clutter that blocks the path to him. Our world is a busy one. We often feel guilty that we, are, we aren't adding enough good things to our lives to make us more like Christ. But we must subtract from our lives before we can add to them. That makes the disciplines of abstinence the best place for busy people to begin their journey of Christ-likeness. These practices create space in which we hear from God. We hear God. They also create space in which we can do things, the disciplines of action. To abstain, to fast, to pull back from things that are unhealthy in our life. This is an inward rhythm for the new year. Here we find Jesus fasting, the spiritual practice of abstaining from food. Um, but then we also have him abstaining from the things that Satan tempts him from. I think this is also important as we consider our vulnerability as humans. Right? We're, uh, we're wily little humans. We, we like to get in trouble. Um, I, I once heard that we're most vulnerable uh, in times of, uh, well, it's, it's an acronym called HALT. When we're hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. When we're hungry, angry, lonely, and tired, we have to halt. That seems to be the time where we're most vulnerable in this world. When we're hungry, we give into things that we usually abstain from. When we're angry, we might have entitlement, we might lash out. When we're lonely, uh, we seek 
We seek love in the wrong places when we're tired or worn out, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. And here we have Jesus, three of the four, and yet we find him with the strength and power uh, to defend off the evil one. When we have these spiritual rhythms, these inward rhythms of abiding, of prayer, of abstaining, it creates something inside of us, an inward strength that protects us from these vulnerable moments. And we see that in the life of Christ. The fourth and last inward rhythm is the study and memorization of Scripture. Such an interesting conversation between Jesus and Satan. Uh, Satan lies to Jesus. He tempts him. Jesus responds with Scripture. Satan actually uses Scripture, too. It doesn't sermon for another day, how they go back and forth. But Jesus uses Scripture, the truth of Scripture, to remind him uh, where true life comes from. We were reading through this passage uh, this week in our staff meeting, and we were talking about, like, that's kind of a small detail. We just kind of assume, like, Jesus, yeah, of course he knows the Scripture because he's Jesus, right? Like, he's kind of the guy that authors the whole thing. And, but then we started thinking about how, how he has this, this word inside of him. The psalmist says in 119 that I've hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. There's this great power to the memorization of scripture. As a staff, we decided for 2017, we want to just get really good at hiding God's word in our heart, of knowing the text, of knowing the scripture. Something that we kind of like learn in Sunday schools as children, but again, a discipline that we lose, an inward rhythm that we forget about of memorizing scripture an inward rhythm of being in God's word and memorizing it. Uh, one of the things that we've found to help with this uh, is an app. We'll get to that in a second. But there's so many different ways, tools, practices you can use to memorize scripture. But 2017, a time for new, something new, a time for resolutions, a time for us for inward rhythms. So here's some practical steps we're going to take as a church, and we want to invite you to join in. Uh, the, first, the first thing is we consider this new year. What if instead of making resolutions, you made almost like de-resolutions? What if instead of making to-do lists, you made a to-don't list? Here are things that I don't need to do anymore in 2017. Here are things that I need to unclutter my life so that I can create more space for God, that can be more available to God. I can center my life around Christ. Make it to don't list. The second is to create space in your schedule for prayer. The golf course is included in this, yes. But recreation time where you can get away, you can retreat, you can do something that just fills you up. For me, it's hiking. I don't know what it is for you. But to create space where you're retreating and you're in solitude and you're intentional about saying, God, this is time for me to not produce anything, not create anything, not have to answer to anyone, but just to be present to what you were doing in my life. Create space intentionally for retreating. The third thing is this. Identify and surrender behaviors and habits that are controlling you. This is the abstaining, right? There's certain rhythms that we get into that are unhealthy, certain behaviors that we get into that actually like corrupt our soul? What are the things that I need to just stop doing that I can identify? 
And this might be like a really heavy, uh, intense thing like an addiction. And, and you know that this is just destroying your life. And you need help. We'd love to, to help. We'd love to pray for you. We'd love to do anything that we can. And maybe it's a small behavior that's not necessarily evil, but the fact that you, you just do it too often, it consumes your time. What are the behaviors that you need to change so that you can be more present to God? The fourth thing is this. Make a scripture memorization plan. I know this sounds very basic in Sunday school, but it's absolutely powerful to find a way to say, I'm going to memorize scripture this year. Uh, one, an app that we found that's kind of clunky, but we're working through it with the staff, is called Scripture Typer. And it actually is a program that allows you to help, help you memorize scripture. But I wonder how much time do you spend throughout the week in God's word? Much like this gift of prayer that we have where we get communion with God, this, this sacred text is, is God's message to us. God speaks to us through his word. So to not only spend time in it, but to spend enough time that it's hidden in our heart. And I think that's important because the fifth thing. When it comes to our insecurities and our fears and our anxious thoughts and all the terrible things that Satan tries to tell us about it, the practice of actually writing those down on an index card to write out what it is that you're struggling with. Maybe it's a fear. Maybe it's an insecurity. Any kind of concern that you have. And on the back page of that card, to find scripture that combats it and write that down. This is a great weekly inward rhythm to get into. To actually like name your fears, to name your anxieties, to name the things that you're struggling with, and then find scripture to write it out. These are five inward rhythms that we want to get into for the new year and that we invite you to get into as well. We believe that the rhythms that we choose change us over time. One of the rhythms that we have here at a church in our weekly gathering is we take communion. Communion, you might call it the Eucharist, the elements, the Lord's Supper. But this is a weekly thing that we do. And communion for us is something that's sacred. It's symbolic of the story that we're a part of, of what God has done in this world. And as the band comes up, I want to help just prepare our hearts for this moment. Uh, we invite, if you're a follower of Jesus, to take communion with us today. But communion is both outward and inward rhythm. Outward because it's symbolic. We take a piece of bread, and this bread represents the body of Christ, God incarnate here on earth. That Christ came down, that God lived among us as we just celebrated with Christmas. And this bread was broken. We break it because God's body was broken on the cross for us. And then we take juice, the juice represents the blood of Christ that was shed on the cross. Much like that Colossians passage that we read earlier, we believe that through the breaking open and the pouring out of the body of Christ on the cross, all of our brokenness, all the ways that we mess up, uh, start to get put back together. And so as we come to this table, we do this sacred act in remembrance of God's love for us. And there's this inward rhythm that takes place where we're reminded of this transformation, this thing that offers us salvation, life eternally. But then we take it, we do this in remembrance of God, but then we also proclaim it as a church. 
that this is how the world is put back together. This is how our soul is put back together. And so today, as you reflect on these sacred rhythms, these inward rhythms for 2017, let's consider what God is calling from each one of us. And let's move to the communion table. Uh, we put out uh, black cards. Uh, you might see them near your seats. Um, maybe you need to just, uh, we, we use those cards for confession. Maybe it's some stuff that you need to just write out on those cards and take it to the communion table. There's things that you need to stop doing. There's things that you know that you need help with. Feel free to use those cards for response as well. And as we move to communion, the band will come up. Let's spend some time just in reflection and in prayer. And then uh, I'll give us a benediction. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. These uh, amazing stories that take place so long ago. And yet they're the stories of humanity. They're stories of us. Lord, as we, we want to know you more and follow your example and see your life, we're reminded that, that even you, Lord, are, are tempted. That you, uh, even being God, uh, have these spiritual disciplines. How much more do we need those, Lord? So today, as we consider this new year, as we consider this new start, as we consider different resolutions, reveal these inward rhythms that we need to commit to that help us become more like you over time. Give us the discipline to follow them, Lord. Not in a way that's legalistic, but in a way that brings freedom and life and joy and strength. Reveal the things in our life, Lord, that aren't helpful. And guide us in ways that we can flourish so that we may be gifts to other people. So we give you this time, Lord. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Mm-hmm.